Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chels, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first, coming into you on your speakers or headsets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I am Rahul, your host, and I'm here with my good friend, Alex. How are you doing? I am, uh, it's been an interesting day, uh, to say the least. So it's been a lot of ups and downs. (laughs) What do you mean? It's been a slow day with no news or anything, just a game? (laughs) Yep, I wish, I wish. (laughs) Um, So Jackie misses out this episode. He's um, in the middle of shifting and moving home, so... Uh, he will be back for the next one, but this one will be covered by Alex and I. And uh, I don't know if he's picked a good episode or not to miss one, but as as is the case with Chelsea these days, uh, every time there's a game, there's something that comes ahead of it. And in this case, today came the san- sanctions, I beg your pardon, from the UK government on Roman Abramovich. We're all aware of the the war and the invasion of Ukraine and, and what that has meant for uh, Russian billionaires in and around the world and and Roman for a while had avoided these sanctions he obviously did take steps to get ahead of them because he knew they were coming I think we knew it to Alex we we may have not spoken about it too too much but uh, for anyone that was seeing what was going on with uh, some of the other Russian billionaires in and around the UK this was something that was coming Roman tried to hand over stewardship to the trustees that didn't work out he then put the club up for sale which has obviously taken some time to happen. So it is Chelsea's birthday. So happy birthday to them, 117th birthday. But what a day it has been. And we've spoken about the sanctions. We've had some news follow with our kit sponsors. But what does this all mean? So it basically means that Roman Abramovich's assets have been frozen. Chelsea being one of his assets is also frozen. They were given a special license by the UK government to continue operations, playing games and fulfill their duties that need to be done on the pitch, but they have limited certain activities. So the club megastore has been closed because Chelsea cannot sell kits directly to fans. They could be still sold through third parties, uh, but Chelsea directly can't do that. They've also reduced the uh, sales of tickets. So that means Anybody that's not a season ticket holder cannot purchase a ticket to to go any game, home or away. And what they've done is they've reduced our budgets for, I guess, traveling and for hosting teams. So £500,000 for hosting games at the bridge, which covers the likes of catering, security, and any other match day activities. And the same for going away, which has come down to about £20,000, which from what you may have seen online means... We may have to fly coach. We may have to take a bus. We may have to walk certain places. We may have to stay at uh, maybe not five-star hotels. So there's a lot of things being reported, but ultimately it comes down to Chelsea as a club can operate, but things are not going to be the same, at least until May 31st, which is the deadline for this sanction. And more importantly, we cannot sign any new players in this time period and renew contracts. So that, I think, is where the biggest impact is felt on the pitch. But we have 1,400 people that work at the club that are going to be suffering from this. So, Alex, I've spoken a lot. I did want to cover some of these things, but I know you have some thoughts that you've been sh- thinking about all day because we've, still ha- we've had all day to think about this. So I'll hand it over to you. 
and you can, as a fan, share your perspective of everything that has happened today. Yeah, well, all I've got to say is, uh, and I, I shouldn't say that because this, I, I, I have no shortage of thoughts on, on this matter. Um, I mean, we've seen this coming. We knew they were, they were aiming to do this. We knew they were posturing to try to sanction Abramovich and sanction all the Russian oligarchs and such. Um, I think I didn't, I didn't fully, I didn't really fully think they would, they would be dumb enough to sort of reach in a direction that's just so clearly does not pertain to uh, the given excuse being obviously Russia's aggression and, and war in Ukraine, which is of course, a tragedy. I don't think any Chelsea fan is enjoying seeing the reports coming out of there. Um, and that's what I think is important to note, because as we've seen for years upon years upon years, it started with Jose Mourinho saying it. There is a campaign against Chelsea. The media hates Chelsea. The government hates Chelsea. Um, they've, they've despised the fact that Abramovich has come in and, as we've discussed on prior episodes, revitalized this club and turned it into a machine. Um, and yet, I think it's, it's laughable. I think it's absurd that the UK government is going to try to impose sanctions, interfere with this sale. But, but not only that, limiting the acting capacity of the club, I mean, limiting the fans who can attend matches, it, I mean, it's, it's absurd to me. So, so you have these, these clowns who are in charge of the UK right now. And, and I don't even want to, but I will get into the fact that during, during this COVID pandemic, let's, let's remember, uh, these UK politicians who are now gleefully um, anti-Chelsea anti because it's their, their easiest, quickest link uh, to Abramovich. And then by extension, they've been desperately trying to pin his name to Putin and say, basically, Chelsea slash Abramovich has basically invaded Ukraine at this point. I mean, the clowns in this UK government who during this massive pandemic, while their country was suffering, um, were giving massive contracts to their friends and family and uh, for, for health and safety equipment. They were enriching themselves during this pandemic. Then news breaks out lately that absolutely enraged the British people um, that these politicians had been partying in lockdown. So while their citizens are dying en masse and prohibited from visiting their loved ones to say their final goodbyes, as UK citizens are, are dying on their deathbeds, just getting ravaged by COVID. These morons were throwing parties in the government, at which point they decide, I, I mean, they're, they're just getting bashed by the media, and now they're trying to take the moral high ground here. It's absurd to me. Um, now, let's, let's, let's remember that during this, during this COVID crisis, who was offering free meals and free housing to NHS workers? Roman Abramovich. He was housing, uh, he opened up the Chelsea hotels um, and Stamford Bridge itself for any use that the NHS needed for it. He was housing health workers. He was distributing meals. They were distributing aid to groups in need. I mean, I just, I just don't see how the UK government of all people is in a position to, to be talking about uh, the actions and morality of others. I mean, especially when you look back and Chelsea during that, during that pandemic, which was this big catastrophe, didn't furlough a single worker. They kept every single worker on full pay throughout that catastrophe, even though the club revenues tanked, as did every single other club. Meanwhile, media darlings Liverpool, who the British press absolutely adores and will write lengthy columns praising for absolutely no reason, 
They were laying off kitchen staff practically. I mean, I think it was Arsenal who fired their mascot. They, they, they laid off a man in a dinosaur suit while Chelsea was, was paying everybody during this pandemic. And somehow it's Chelsea who are the bad guys. Every single time Chelsea's name comes up, the media, the politicians, they just try to throw dirt on it. And now let's take a moment to shift to Roman Abramovich because I, I am sure, I understand there are many reasons for which people don't love billionaires. And I understand that can leave a sour taste in some people's mouths. But this specific billionaire that we're talking to, aside from his past links to Putin, which are murky, the UK government has been trying to nail him on that for years. He's been banned from attending Chelsea matches in Stamford Bridge. He hasn't been able to see the stadium that he's invested billions in. He hasn't been able to visit the community he's invested billions in. He hasn't been able to see the women's team that he revitalized, the academy that he built from the ground up, the entire culture of this area of London and in England in general that he has just, just massively revitalized and improved. He hasn't even been allowed in the country um, for significant stretches of time to see his investment and watch it. Um, so they've been trying to do this. The war comes along. They seize upon it, in my opinion, as a perfect convenient excuse to finally nail him with something. But this specific guy, Roman Abramovich, I looked it up. He's got Ukrainian grandparents. He had pledged to give the entire profits of the sale process of Chelsea to Ukrainian war victims of this really unfortunate conflict. So you're telling me this guy, Roman Abramovich is, is the one who needs to have his assets frozen. I mean, sure, say what you want, but you're not even hurting him. I mean, congratulations. You've taken a billionaire from what, 11, 11 billion in wealth? Ooh, now he's only got $8 billion. What is he going to do? Oh, well, let's forget about the thousands of English workers who are now going to be laid off because Chelsea physically can't operate. And let's forget about the millions of English fans and the fans all around the world who attend Chelsea games, who this is a big part of their routine, big part of their lives. I mean, it's absurd to me that the UK government thinks laying off English workers and damaging a massive part of your country's historic and sporting culture is going to somehow show Putin who's boss. It is, it is laughable to me. I think it's ridiculous. Um, and to, to, to end this, this little uh, rant of mine, I'd just like to point out that our next opponents this weekend are going to be Newcastle. And for those who are familiar with Newcastle, they recently had a little change in ownership. And the interesting thing about their change in ownership is uh, Newcastle welcomed with very open arms, uh, essentially the Saudi Arabian government itself, the nation state investing in this club. Saudi Arabia, at, at, its, at its core, the, the, the leaders of Saudi Arabia purchased this club and are now going to be funding Newcastle. The UK government said, oh, step right in and, and, and pump your money in here. Oh, and by the way, we love your oil. I mean, goodness. You know what's funny about Saudi Arabia? I mean, I don't think of them at the top of my list when I think of uh, ethical countries with a clean track record. They've actually been bombing a neighbor country of theirs, Yemen, for an extended period of time. Hundreds and hundreds of civilians dead. Children's children dead, being bombed. But, but you know what? It's okay because it's not Russia and Ukraine. It's okay because we're used to there being war in the Middle East. So, you know, forget that. We're just, we're just going to sweep that under the rug. You come in, you invest all you want. Um, but, but no, no, the Premier League needs to be rid of, of this scourge of a billionaire who is running um, anti-Semitism awareness campaigns and say no to hate campaigns and, you know, funding equality for the women's game and keeping all their workers on full pay. Um, so, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up. I'll wrap up my rant now. But I think this is absolutely absurd. I think it's laughable, and I think it sets a ridiculous precedent of favoritism and arbitrary punishment that has landed so far from the mark of any any pretending that they're going to do that this is hurting Russia or hurting Putin in any way. This is hurting England. This is hurting Chelsea fans. This is hurting their look, and this is hurting the credibility of the Premier League as a whole um, and as a brand. Yeah, look, you've you've touched on a lot of topics and points here, and and that rant I think covers the emotions and the sentiments of a lot of Chelsea fans today or going back a couple of weeks. I do want to take this point to say that when we rant or when we say things about the government, we say things about in favor of Roman Abramovich, it's because of the football, the things that happen on the pitch. We clearly understand what's going on in, in Ukraine. We're totally against it. We've spoken out against it. We've supported uh, Ukrainian friends in blues who, you know, we, if you follow us on Instagram, you've seen our support for them. So when we speak out against these things, we're not saying, and I, and I think that's a good distinction to make because a lot of people, politicians, rival fans, or just people that may not know Chelsea apart from what they're seeing on the news is that Chelsea aren't the ones or our fans or, or we as fans aren't the ones that said, let's go invade Ukraine. It's something that was done outside of our power. I understand. I think, Alex, you understand, too, With the, even though you, you have all these opinions, and, and I share those with you, that if, you, if Abramovich has these ties with Putin, he should absolutely be punished. But everything is allegedly. He was doing this. He's friends with Putin, allegedly. There's nothing been proven. Everything's been written in the media. And... I think Chidge mentioned it too. Every time something's been written about Abramovich that isn't true, he is legally pursued to be taken down. And so I think he has done an excellent job of protecting his image, which obviously now is in the mud, as you would say. Chelsea are in the mud, as you would say. But it's tough for me, and I think you brought it up too, is that you look at the club, it's a community. It's not just Chelsea doing the business on the pitch. It's a community. There's bars around the ground. There's people that make their living off of the club being in that area. There's people that have jobs in that club at, at like I said, the mega store. And so all of these sanctions and things, yes, I get that they needed to be put in place. And unfortunately, Chelsea are a byproduct of them. But there could have been certain things that were done to protect the British people the people that make the economy, that support these politicians. If you're working in the megastore, you went into work today, you were let go at 11 a.m., and you don't know when you're going to go back. And that's a scary part. Now, I know Chelsea as a club will do everything to protect these people and support them, but ultimately, Chelsea have now got to look at themselves and say, how are we going to support our players? How are we going to support our manager? How are we going to support the ground staff, the people that work at the academy that need to enable these players to do their job. So I think that's where the frustration comes. And I think the, po the political part of it, we can't control. We, we see what's going to happen in the news. We see what's happening with Russia. We see with Ukraine. The other thing I want to bring up, and, and I, I guess this is my version of the rant, is people tend to take what's been said in the media and go against everything Russian is, is bad now, right? 
there are people in Russia that don't want this war. They're hurting more than anyone because the sanctions that the world has placed on them ultimately will affect their day-to-day life. And that's kind of what's happening with Chelsea. And I think that's the parallel there. Again, there, none of this compares to what people in Ukraine are going through. And, and I want to make that distinction because it is important to make that distinction. And another day, another game we had that was covered or, or taken over by a statement that was made. And we don't know what's going to happen. We have absolutely no idea. The sale of the club is now put on hold, at least for the next few days, until the club, Roman, potentially the new owners work a deal out or work something out with the UK government because now the UK government has to issue issue a special license for the club to be sold, which yeah. in itself slows down the whole process. That's what doesn't make sense to me is like, I don't even care if they've, you know, I personally don't think given the track records of, of some other questionable owners in, in uh, football, I don't think Roman was like, deserve to be pushed out given as i've mentioned what some other owners have supported and done in the past um but like even if you just want to say oh we're cleansing the game of people like this okay he he had put it up for sale he was actively trying to find buyers to get out of the country if anything just set him a sale deadline or say we want it we want to make sure the sale gets completed or or impose a punishment if he doesn't sell by a certain date what's absurd to me is the idea of like no, as you, as you said, this could slow down the process. Forget the idea of like, let's get him out of the country and get, get this link to Russia that all these allegations and whatever that they want to stir up. Sure, just, just, just get him out of the country. Let him, sell, let him sell the club to somebody else. And what's done is done. But all they've done now is slow the process, make it more painful, drag the name of a significant English brand and establishment through the mud and... They're, I, I mean, they're just directly hurting English people, laying them off of jobs and screwing with the livelihoods of so many Chelsea fans. So it's just crazy to me. And, and I mean, to your point about making these distinctions, which is key, even if, even if these links that they've desperately been trying to pin between Abramovich and Putin are completely true, the media has seized upon this in a way that makes it seem like Chelsea, the footballing entity, and the fan base is somehow now linked to Putin. And that's what just strikes me as ridiculous because nobody says that every Newcastle fan is in favor of executing people who are gay. Well, that's what happens in their owner's home country. So it's just a little weird to me that, that you have absolute atrocities that can happen and nobody makes that link between, oh, these, these guys will execute people based on, on their lifestyle and they will bomb their neighboring countries, but we're not going to link that to the Newcastle fans. But heaven forbid, heaven forbid Chelsea's owner has some shady ties that we want to find. It is now a problem of every single Chelsea fan. The club is disgusting. It needs to be sanctioned. And we're going to enjoy this Chelsea downfall that they so much deserve. It's just ridiculous double standards, and it's going to make it all the sweeter when we emerge from this, I won't say unscathed, but a lot better off than people think we will, because I do think we're going to get through this just fine. We're a well-run club. We're a massive institution. We've got massively talented players. We're once again, just like the transfer ban, in a unique position where we have some very talented loan players who can come back even if we can't make new signings. And 
unfortunately for I think the many people who are beside themselves with joy watching this downfall of Chelsea's, I think we are in a fantastic position to get through this and continue on our way, winning, having success, and dominating uh, in in the league and in in the world. So, you know, it's a it's a stinky situation. It is what it is, but it's it's just yet another example of Chelsea being treated differently in a negative way than other clubs. And at this point, I've come to expect it. And, and, and again, it wasn't a surprise. <laughs> like we said at the at the top of the show and and anything after this isn't going to be a surprise even though we don't know what to expect we do expect it to get worse before it gets better and before we move on from this i i don't think we're saying people need to go out and start hating on newcastle fans or man city fans i think alex no. is just trying to point out that these things do exist with other clubs and their sponsors aren't walking away the media isn't giving them the coverage that uh we're getting and again context is everything right and the situation we're in is is very unique it's something no club i think ever has been in or will be in uh, going forward but we we take it on the chin and we roll with it and each day from here on out is going to be interesting each game we play is going to be interesting because we don't know what the next one's going to be like uh but i did mention the sponsorship sponsorship issue and so three uk the mobile company network company Has temporarily, <laughs> has temporarily suspended sponsorship of our kits. If you don't know, they're the, the ones that are on our um, shirts in the front. And they won't be. They were, I guess today was the last game, at least for the next few months. Uh, and so Chelsea now have to go out either without a sponsor on the shirt or with a new sponsor, which I doubt will be the case. So that's another unknown that's coming. And Hyundai made themselves also consider the sleeve sponsorship that they've gotten. Uh, I know they're monitoring the things and they may soon go away. So again, it comes back to, okay, you've taken a Brown Richards assets away and he can't fund the club, but now sponsors that give us commercial revenue are also going away. And that's going to hurt the club again with making payments, paying wages and the expenses that come along. And anybody else listening to this, a rival fan is going to, going to enjoy it and be happy with it and that's fine i think we would have done the same if it was any other club but at a human level you don't want to see someone losing their job just because the owner is allegedly involved with something that we don't know of that's that's where i'm going to leave it i'm going to i think alex has some choice words for three so i'll give it to him for a couple of seconds and then we can talk about uh the sale the pending sale and then we'll talk about a game that was actually on today Yeah, I just I think 3UK is uh, a Mickey Mouse sponsor, as I as I called them before, forever in Samsung's shadow. I think joke of a sponsor. Their uh, their logo looks like it was drawn by a toddler. Um, horrendous, terrible look for a football kit. Always hated it. Um, and we also made their garbage company relevant in the first place. No one had ever heard of, of three as a wireless provider. Side note, I looked at all their reviews and they're terrible and everyone hates their service. So <laughs> go out there, cancel your three subscriptions and uh, invest in, in far better phone plans because, uh, yeah, ne never wanted them anyways. Don't want them back. Let, let's support Trivago because they seem to be sticking around and, yes. and maybe they'll end up being the, the shirt sponsor, but we don't know. Um, Nike may go away too. So It's, it's an interesting time. Again, it's one that we've never experienced. 
we don't know if anyone else will experience it. So we, we take it and we'll try to stay positive. And like I said on Twitter, I said on Instagram, we're open for you guys. We're here for you to, to share your thoughts with us to even if you just want us to listen, we're there because we're only going to get through this as a community, as Chelsea fans together. And this, the club, the games, the players affect our moods, our mental health. And this is all going to get worse, like I said. So we're here for you. The Premier Chelsea, Alex, myself, Jackie, we're all here for you. Alex, the, the sale is pending. Like I said, it's currently on hold. A new license needs to be issued for the sale of this club. It looks like it's most likely going to be an American owner that comes through. The price may have gone down now from the initial $3 billion because it seems like Chelsea can only move forward from here with a sale. Uh, and so how soon do you, th- I mean, I know you don't know exactly, but how soon do you think this will happen? Do you think it happens before May 31st, which is the deadline, or do you think it happens in the next few weeks? Uh, it's tough to say. I feel like it definitely depends on the fine print that we weren't able to see uh, and the, the little things behind closed doors and the contract that are, that are going to be uh, in, the, in the fine details of, I mean, they had some murky statement that the UK government is going to be overseeing the incoming funds, which to me sounds like, oh, well, we know you are already selling off the asset. We just want to get, we, we want to be the ones uh, overseeing these funds because yeah, the UK government has had such a great track record with overseeing the use of funds. Um, but I think that's that it just depends on what Abramovich ultimately, who does does still technically own the club, even if it's frozen, it depends on probably what agreement he can reach with the UK government. Because if I were him, I mean, it, it, it is difficult. It is a really difficult situation because these workers who do not deserve to be suffering are suffering from this decision. And it's absurd to me, the idea that uh, I mean, Abramovich also has never used this club as a cash cow or for his personal enrichment. He's actually in like multi-billions of dollars of debt to Chelsea um, because we use our finances in a relatively self-supporting way at this point. I don't think selling a kit in the club megastore was going to go right into Abramovich's pocket and then be wired straight to Putin to fund <laughs> this war. I think those are then the funds that help to pay the wages and do the upkeep and travel the team and invest in the women's team and to help the academy to run. It's just, if I were Abramovich, I would not be rushing to just, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'd be, I'd be holding off for as long as I can, but ultimately this is designed to force his hand as soon as possible with the UK government having maximum control. And he's probably just going to have to cave in pretty soon. Um, but I mean, to a certain point, if we can hold out with these sanctions for a little while and try to still find a good owner who's not just the first guy to throw wads of cash at us and see Chelsea as, as uh, you know, a, a, something to milk for profit, I, I, I would hope, I would love to hope that maybe Abramovich is going to be able to still vet some of these owners a little bit coming in, talk to them, and, and even if the government says you have to sell, he'll at least have some confidence that the person who's coming in to buy, even if he doesn't control the cash flow anymore, isn't going to run this club into the ground. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still just shocked at like the number of people with, I mean, we, you talk about like a lot of Russian civilians not wanting this whole horrible situation. I mean, 
I thought I thought certain Russian civilians suffering in in odd ways from these sanctions is is difficult because really they are not to blame for the actions of their leader. Now we've moved to English citizens, just random people with with lives and livelihoods who are now being punished for actions of Russian aggression. So I am still just kind of bewildered, but you know what, whenever the sale happens, and I, I hope it does happen because these people need their jobs back. And I, I, I feel so sorry for, for <laughs> the people who walked in, walked into work and, and, and now don't have work because, because of this weird, weird, weird decision. So I, I hope it does happen soon. I hope it's a decent owner, but it's got to happen because the club needs to get operating fully again. And these people need their jobs back. And, and long term, I think the club just needs to distance itself from everything that's being said about it in Ukraine and Russia. And um, so I think you're right. I think he hopefully he gets to pick the right owner. If not, I think someone is better than no one. We're in a situation now where we need someone so that we can start focusing on the summer and, and next season. Um, because you you have to think about the players, and, and I say the players now because we're going to transition over into the games. But you're a player at a club. You're looking at what's happened two, three weeks ago. The first statement comes out. The second statement comes out with the, with the news about the sale. And now the third statement or decision comes out about the frozen assets and Chelsea's reduced income and ability to operate in terms of finances. And you're thinking what is going to happen to me ultimately players may kiss the badge mason mount's different reese james is different they've come through but you look at the likes that we bring in from abroad they may kiss the badge they may show affection for the club they may post positive things about it but they're here for the money and i and i don't mean to make it seem like they're selfish but at the end of the day i work at a company you're going to be working at a company soon or, or somewhere else you're only there obviously to get the experience to, to advance your career like myself and Jackie, but you're there for the paycheck, right? And, and as long as you're getting paid what you think is right, you're going to stay there. It brings up a lot of questions in these players' mind. And for them to come out and play these games pretty much hours after these statements, I commend them for it. I commend Tuco for it because he's the one facing all the questions. He's not once said, I'm going to bring in someone from the board. I'm going to have Peter Check respond to it. The only time he's hit back was that one interview where they asked him about Roman and the war and everything for seven, eight straight minutes. And he finally said, stop. And I have sympathy for him. I have sympathy for the players. But we come to this Norwich game. We don't. I saw someone say, we're going to run to sports direct down the road and get blue shirts to play in, which obviously was a joke. But those are the things that you start hearing and, and you're not sure if you can wear your kit, if you're going to have your name on the back, if you're going to get paid for this game. And for these guys to come out, and I'll let you run through the lineup here in a second, to come out and put in a performance and win a game, not just on the men's side, but also the women's side, because they played today too. I think the Chelsea spirit is, is very strong. And for some reason or the other, we seem to thrive under drama, under tough circumstances we seem to excel which hey with with what's left to be won that's okay with me so Alex I'll let you run through the team and then we can talk about the Norwich game yeah um so the team was more or less I'd say maybe what 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 was expected um a few a few 
little surprises in there. So Christensen, Silva, and Shalaba had the back uh, three center backs. And then Edward Mendy in goal, obviously. That's don't, don't even need to say that one. That's a given. Um, Saul was, was playing as a left wing back uh, with Azpilicueta on the right, Kovacic and Jorginho uh, as a midfield pivot, and then Timo Werner and Mason Mount uh, in those sort of floating winger-esque roles. Kai Havertz centrally, as we've seen um, him building some form there in recent games. And as you said, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed with them going out and, and getting the job done through this drama. Absolutely. And I think before the game, uh, Aspilicueta gave a quick interview and he said, of course, we're concerned about what's going on, but we've got to do our job. And uh, I think I commend Tuchel for this because he's got to manage what's going on on the outside, but he's got to keep his players positive and, and motivated. And he's doing that. So uh, let's talk about the lineup here for a second. Saul continuing at left wing back in the absence of Alonso. I think it points towards the dire situation that we have at our wing back position because now Reese James himself is also injured. But I think Saul's putting in a decent decent shift. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, he's a player who's been honestly just I I struggle to to contextualize it because it's like it came in on out alone. Obviously now now we know with the these fun little sanctions. Uh, as if it wasn't already confirmed, I think it was pretty much known he probably wasn't going to extend his, his right. Chelsea contract beyond this season. Now, I would say he almost certainly isn't going to be extending his time at Chelsea, but he came in and was really shaky in the beginning. Um, and yet, since then, he has actually developed into quite a consistent rotation player where he'll just put in a shift wherever he's needed. Um, he's pretty versatile, can play through the left, in the middle, and He's, he's exactly the kind of player you need when you have things like now these games coming quick and fast. You need to rotate some players. I mean, for, for my Polisic listeners, Christian Polisic had a little unexpected illness. Don't think it was anything crazy. Probably just, you know, routine sickness that uh, keeps you out of a match. Um, but you need that depth. And I think Saul is a perfect example of a player who, He's not gonna. He's not gonna shine in your starting lineup, but he'll do a job whenever you call upon him. And I think he was. Um, I think he was. He was good. And that's that's even like just sometimes you just need good solid players who will who will work work hard and put in a shift. And I think that's what you get from him. And it's good that he's improved for us because I think he's become an important part of this this rotation and uh, Tuchel's selection. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you touched on the versatility part. I think that's key because. Like I mentioned, we're we're light in those wingback positions. I know we brought Kennedy back, who played, a, I believe, the FA Cup game. Uh, but that's also not his position. So I think with Alonso, I think, picked up COVID. So he may be back this weekend, maybe not. I think Saul, yes, he was shaky in the Burnley game, but he's doing the best he can. And uh, at this point, I can't really complain or say he needs to be doing this or he needs to be doing that. He's doing the job that's required. Let's go to the other side, Reese James. We spoke about him last last episode we were impressed not that we were never impressed with him but he's come in come back from injury put in a a great performance against Burnley and now out again I think they're saying two weeks which is disappointing but that allows Aspilicueta to come back in another warrior another player that you could say can play pretty much any position Uh, were you impressed with him he only played 45 minutes but decent shift again 
Yeah, I didn't um, get to watch the game extensively, honestly, because I had class at the time um, for at the majority of the first half and a little bit of the second. Um, but I do think Azpilicueta's just still, I mean, as we know, he's one of those ones whose contract situation is in doubt. So I don't know how much longer we'll have him for, but he has just been the epitome of a great servant to the club for however many years uh, coming in right after we won the Champions League, I believe, and then staying all the way through winning this Champions League, Super Cup, Club World Cup, and now he's still coming up in times of need. I mean, we saw Reese James and said, oh, he's going to bench Azpilicueta for sure. He's world class. He's going to be starting week in, week out. And yet, all it takes is a couple of unlucky injuries, and suddenly we're back looking at, at our old captain, Azpilicueta, saying we need you to come in and do a job. So it, it just shows the importance of, of leadership, consistency, and depth in the roster because for a team like Chelsea, you need to not only have some world-class and, and, and top-level players in your starting lineup um, for, for your ideal strongest eleven. You also need to have players who you know you can put in and they won't be a train wreck. And I think that's that's exactly what he brings. He brings some experience, defensive mindedness, um, and and he's just always been a solid performer. So yeah, I, I we really appreciate him more, more and more now, especially with this unfortunate Reese James setback, which is such a shame because of how how amazing he's been. The fact that he's the only, I think he's the only defender in might be the only defender in Europe's top five leagues with yeah. five goals and at, like at least five goals and five assists. And yet he's been injured for a two much per- two month period comes back first game. He starts, he gets a goal and an assist and then has another little injury setback. So really tough, but you know, I, I still think he's got a great future as the best right back in the world. We'll see. I, I agree. And, and I think in Espelacueta, he's it's, we don't know if he's going to be here next season again with the sanctions and what was being reported about him before with Barcelona. Uh, it's going to be interesting, but he's been a great servant. And if this is how it ends, it's going to be sad because I'm sure he'd want to stay and help the club out. And, and again, we don't know how it's going to go. Let's go to two other players that are also out of contract at the end of this season, Rudiger and Christensen. Rudiger gets rested, which is rare so clearly i think Tugel must have thought this was a the perfect game to do that andreas christensen comes in to play on that left side and we've seen him on the right we've seen him in the middle i don't think he's played much on the left but he comes in and he's reportedly on his way to barcelona for sure so that's one player we don't have to worry about renewing uh, so what's your feedback or, or thoughts on him leaving for barcelona and and just overall uh, being another good option to have to bring in when we need to rest players. Yeah, he's he's a very good option. I think, I mean, I think he starts for most Premier League teams. Certainly, I mean, I think put him at any any Premier League club in the bottom half of the table and he's a starter. I think even more so than that, I think put him anywhere in the bottom 12 or 14 teams. And I think he he, he probably gets a starting role. He has been that good and consistent for us. Um I think we we weren't all fully convinced of his his consistency. He's always had flashes of ability, but he, right. he's made some errors here and there in, in recent years. But he's definitely one of, of many players who has really stepped things up lately. For me, Christensen is he's a miss, but not our biggest miss. It's Rudiger who I'm most worried about. 
because, you know, Christensen, that's fine. He wasn't getting guaranteed starting minutes anyways, because we have such class center backs um, ahead of him in the lineup at the moment. He would have been great to keep, especially with Tiago Silva being old and um, still class, obviously, but who knows how many more seasons we'll have of him at his very best. Um, and then Rudiger now being a, a, on an iffy contract situation. It is a difficult one, but Rudiger for me is the one that if Chelsea need to just desperately try to keep hold of a player, it's Antonio Rudiger because not only like forgetting his defensive ability, his leadership and fire on the pitch is contagious. And that's something every team needs. Every team needs someone running to the ref to protest decisions. Every team needs someone running to back up your player. If a scuffle breaks out, um, motivating the team, celebrating after goals, celebrating after, after, saves and blocks and stuff it's just the morale that's infectious and i think rudiger goes out with great intensity every single game um and that's aside from the fact that he is a top class defender and i think would start for every premier league team no doubt um so i i we've got to keep hold of him if we can but it's going to be tough yeah that that whole situation i think he's going to stay he's not going to stay now clearly that's that's put on hold uh, again, I think he's one of those that would want to stay and help the club out, especially if uh, the sanctions lead into point deduction and other things that may come. But like I said, the top people and players are, are ultimately going to look out for themselves. So I, I can't speak too much for them. If uh, All I got to say right now is if if they manage to hit Chelsea with a point deduction based on Russia invading Ukraine, you had better not allow me on this podcast because <laughs> I'm going to say some things that our listeners will not want to hear. So that's we'll, all I'm saying. We'll save that for, for the future. Um, let's go and talk about that first half. And I did get to catch it a little bit on the side. And we started off like a house on fire. We, whatever was said in the, in the dressing room, maybe Tuchel said, this is go out and play like it's your last game because we don't know the future. We started off well in Chaloba. Again, another defender on the other side of, of Thiago Silva gets his fourth goal of the season early in that first half. I think it was the fourth minute or so. Again, here's a guy who we didn't even talk about last year. Many fans knew he was part of the club, uh, but he was never one that we thought would come up through the ranks so fast, ultimately end up being a replacement for... Zuma to an extent or Kunde who was supposed to come in and he's come in and, and is scoring goals putting in a good performance getting stabbed by Nabi Keita in the final and coming back uh, after a week and putting in a great performance I think if whatever happens with this if we're not able to sign players and not able to renew contracts I think we'll be okay because we have the likes of Chaloba, Reese James uh, Levy Colwell, who's who's going to come back from loan. Some of our academy boys can, again, with the transfer ban, come into the squad and hopefully perform and, and do the business. So uh, what, what are your thoughts on Chalabai? I'm sure you, you kind of feel the same way about it. Yeah, he's he's absolutely stepped up. And I think we saw, I loved, I'm blanking on exactly the games he did it in, but I know, was it was it early? Was it? right at the beginning of the season where he scored the, that really nice goal um, at Stamford Bridge, or am I confusing my dates? Was no, it... you're right. He scored the, in the first game against Crystal Palace. 
Okay, because I remember him hitting a really nice long range goal. Yep. Um, that was... And and I think that was the one where he was he like got down and he was like, "Thank you, yeah. thank you." He was like, um, he was saying like, "That's that's for my mom. I've right. worked my whole life to do this. This is my dream come true." I think almost like an a Christensen type situation. We've seen him make we've seen him make errors here and there. He's he's not the finished product. He's no he's no Rudiger. He's no Thiago Silva. But he is very solid. And he's been progressing very nicely. He's been putting in good shifts, good performances, and obviously defending next to the likes of Thiago Silva and Antonio Rudiger week in, week out is going to show you, and just training with them is going to improve you as a defender. And then that's learning from the best in the business. So I, 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 in a weird way, do feel like he's almost the replacement Christensen where he's <laughs> was a fringe player, made a little bit of a breakout. And now I think we could see him become really a staple especially if some of these center backs leave as we're expecting i think he's going to be a big part of our future and i agree with you that chelsea is in a unique position just like when that transfer ban drama happened where we we are lucky enough to have a core of young talented players who will play for the badge who can win us games i mean they're not all they're not all world-class gems at this moment but they will all go out they all have the quality to put up a fight really against any level of opposition and have shown they're not intimidated by that. So I, I really do have high hopes for our future, regardless of, of these latest setbacks. Yeah. And, and coming to one of those players that will hopefully be here and, and be one of those that ushers in, uh, you know, the, the next era of Chelsea is Mason Mount. And I know he's been criticized recently. We criticized him a couple of episodes ago, but he does the business today and he seemed like he personally wanted us to, to win this game and make a statement that we're not going anywhere. And he gets the second goal, a good pass from Kai Havertz. But I think what makes it is that first touch from Mason Mount where he fakes it a little bit and then takes it out and that opens it up for him and he bangs it into the net and makes it two nil. And once again, this felt like Chelsea were in the mood to kill a game early compared to Burnley, where we did it in the second half. This, this time it felt like first half, Chelsea going to kill this game, 2-0 up in 14 minutes. Mason Mount, your thoughts and on the goal? I'm sure you've seen it even though you were in class and uh, his desire and his kissing the badge after that goal. Yeah, I think the badge kiss was fantastic because that's just, that to me was like the perfect, as you said, the statement of we're not going anywhere. We love this club. And I think yeah, that was the perfect way to just show support for everyone, the fans, the players, the staff. I mean, everyone who's been negatively impacted by this, dare I say, quite unfairly, you know, it is what it is. I think, I think that was a fantastic statement to make of, of showing, you know what, we're still going to go out there. We're going to do the business. You can sanction us all you want. You can, you can have all these, all these, you know, bring your politics into it selectively, do whatever you want. And uh, we'll go out on the pitch and we'll get the results. So I think that was, um, I, that's exactly what I wanted from him. And, and that's you, you met, you say we criticized him in recent episodes. Absolutely. I think he's not immune to criticism. Um, you see, I mean, some people will passionately defend him on social media and insist he can do no wrong. Some people will slander him and, and say he's not, not nowhere near as good as Chelsea fans think. Um, but I think the fact is he's a very talented young player who has come up clutch for us many times already on some huge stages. I mean, Champions League final assist comes to mind, obviously, among many other things, securing uh, securing our place in the top four under Lampard with a great free kick, I believe, against Wolves. Uh, he, he has come up in some huge moments in his 
still very young Chelsea career. And even when he has poor games, when he messes up some finishes, he, he's not going to be brilliant every game, but, but I mean, when, when did some other, other midfielders, some, some other midfielders, some, some midfielders who are now regarded as, as world-class veterans, top of the line, no debate whatsoever that they're, that they're top, top level. They have not even reached the career heights technically that, that Mason has reached as a very young career in terms of trophies won and, and massive moments for his club that he's contributed to. So I think it's, it's just good to recognize that his quality is there and he won't, we can't expect him to be brilliant every game. He's not immune to being dropped or criticized, but he's a top quality player and he is a core member of this Chelsea team who loves the club. And I think more often than not, Mason Mount delivers the goods and that's what we need. And especially against Norwich, which was his fourth goal against them this season. And uh, overall he had a great game. And I think kissing that badge, like you said, was, was the moment for me where, I felt everything's going to be okay. We've, we've got the players. We've got guys who care about us, with like, like the academy boys. And we'll touch on Tuchel, too, who said he's not going anywhere, even though Jamie Carragher is ready to send him to Manchester United. Um, but let's come into the second half. First half, we go in 2-0. Uh, could have been three, could have been four. Didn't kill the game like I was saying we should have. Uh, we come into the second half. We have a sub at halftime with Aspilicueta coming off for Ruben Loftus-Cheek who now has been playing right wing back. So now we had Saul, a midfielder at left, and, and Reese, uh, I beg your pardon, Ruben at right as another midfielder. And if Aspie is injured, I, I'm a little concerned because now we have no wing backs on either side and we're going to have to plug and play and maybe Pulisic, if he comes back, will we'll be one of those guys. But um, Norwich come out a lot hungrier, brighter, as you'd expect. They're fighting for uh, their survival in the league. We give away a penalty from Chaloba and they come back into the game. Couldn't really say much in terms of Chaloba should have done better. It wasn't a penalty. I think it was pretty clear. Uh, and we just had to roll with it, right? Yeah, it, it's we've seen many times Chelsea doesn't always kill the game when we can. I, I can't tell you how many times we, we must have said <laughs> those words. Of, you know, we, we just didn't put the game to bed. Um, but at the end of the day, if, if you survive the scare, you've, you've done the job. No one's going to remember, oh, we really shut off in the second half. Several weeks down the line, we're just going to be thinking that was a key three points. So uh, you know, I, I'm glad with everything going on today, the game, losing today's game or, or even drawing on, on top of everything going on today would have been the really the, the last straw <laughs> for many people, myself included probably. So as as long as we powered through and got the job done, which eventually we did, um, I'm not going to complain too much. It is what it is, and 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 I'll I'll take the win. And I think you're right. I think if we lose this game, or if we had lost a Luton a, a week or so ago, the narrative from the media then becomes it's all affecting Chelsea. The season's falling apart, and and all of that stuff comes into play. But now with the win, they can't really do that. So they've got to continue with with what's been going around in and around with Roman. Uh, you mentioned we killed the game. We did go ahead and get a third one with Kai Havertz, who's, I think I read somewhere he's had 10 goal contributions since the start of the year, and that's more than any other Chelsea player. So before we wrap up this segment, Kai Havertz, I mean, what a turnaround. A guy that we were concerned about, we weren't sure what was going to happen after spending the big money, 
he's finally coming into his own. And I feel like we've been talking about him the last few episodes, but he's forcing us to do that, right? Yeah, he's been he's been stepping it up. And I think Havertz is the perfect example of why, you know, beyond the obvious social media banter and, and slander from rival fans of, oh, your big money signing is, is flopping. Uh, he's, he can't score any goals. He's, he's not as good. He wasted your money. That's always going to happen, whatever, right? Fans are going to have fun and poke fun at rival fans. I mean, you see it with other fans poking fun at Jaden Sancho right now, who we know is his quality hasn't had the, the most scintillating start to life at United, but you know, he's a quality player and will probably settle in in time. It's that's how it goes. I mean, frankly, seeing it with Arsenal too, with some of their signings who got, I mean, I think Odegaard comes up as one name who now is really impressing who before people were saying, isn't great enough. Shout out to myself. I noted Odegaard as being very quality before the masses. Um, but they, uh, yeah, I think I think Havertz is, is your perfect quintessential example of why you don't expect a player to come to the Premier League and tear it up right away. Um, you've just got to give them time to adapt, especially when that player is young. So you've switched leagues, you've switched countries, you've switched languages, you've switched play styles, you've switched opposition. It, it's a it's a big change, and yet even in in this this big change where he wasn't maybe impressing every game and he was disappointing. He'd been thrown in some interesting positions. He was played in midfield a bit. He was he was played sort of out wide by Frank Lampard a little bit at the beginning of that uh, period. It was he he wasn't always I don't think put in a position to succeed, but he still kept his head down. He worked hard every game, and then he comes up and and wins us a Champions League final, wins us the Super Cup. Um, it, th- this is I and mean the, this and is, the Club World Cup. And the Club World Cup. I mean, that was yeah. Was, was he? It was his winning goal in the Super Cup too, wasn't it? Or was it not? Did I mix up the Super Cup and Club yeah, World Cup? Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Then, then that's that's. I meant I meant Club World Cup. I was thinking of his uh, winning penalty. Um, when you win as many trophies as we do, it's it's easy to. Yeah, I mean, really. <laughs> can you imagine? I mean, Manchester United fans have not seen their club celebrate a trophy <laughs> in five years. Me- meanwhile, we're getting mixed up between the three we've won <laughs> in the last year alone. That's that's absurd. But but regardless, I think Kai Havertz has just impressively come up in big moments even though he hasn't been super consistent and now when he's being consistently played in center forward in a system I think that's now suiting him a little bit better we're seeing that consistency we're seeing him him upping his game and it's just anyone anyone with eyes knew that he had the talent the question was could he be put in a position to gain that consistency and momentum um, and adjust and I think he has he he absolutely has and he's Turning into a player that I've said this for the last couple of weeks, you cannot drop. Uh, so if he's fit, we play him. I think his connection with Mason Mount, it works well. And the two of them get along in terms of knowing where they are and when they'll make the run and those kind of things, which is beneficial when you're playing as a striker. We, we Chidge mentioned it and we mentioned it too a few episodes ago. Drogba had Frank, Sesk and Costa. And now it seems like we have Kai and Mount developing this relationship that will serve us well because they're both young and uh, forgetting the sanctions and stuff for a second, just staying on the pitch. If those two stay together, we're, we're in for a good, uh, good few seasons with them, but let's move on to the women's side real quick. And they also played tonight, which doesn't really happen with both teams playing. Uh, But in this crazy world of Chelsea with the statement every other week, 
the two teams come out. The men we've spoken about win 3-1. Uh, the women also were getting questions. Emma Hayes was getting questioned about the future and what happens. And um, they came out and, and put out a 4-1 win against West Ham coming off of the disappointment of the Conti Cup. Uh, they put things right. And that's where I was saying Chelsea's spirit, you know, focusing on what to do on the pitch, forgetting about everything that's going on for 90 minutes. Because for the women, I think it's it's crucial. They know Bromwich has supported them for a long, long time. The club has invested in their success. But now you don't know what's going to happen with the club. You don't know what's going to happen at Bromwich. For them to have their minds waver and, and forget about uh, the league and what's going on there, it, it's easy. But they stay professional. They do the job. And, and that's what we want. Pernilla Arder gets two. Liam Charles gets one and Sam Kerr gets the fourth one, which makes it 4-1. And, and we go on and win this game and we're unbeaten uh, in 2022 in the Women's Super League, which is going to serve us well if we continue that because we can then close the gap on Arsenal and, and take them uh, over for first spot. So, Alex, the Chelsea spirit. We've spoken about this. We thrive under drama. We thrive under pressure. Both teams come out and do the business. Is that what Chelsea is all about? That's totally that that totally sums up the club. And I think it's it's always it's always been at least you, you have to say under this Abramovich period, you talked before all this recent drama came out, you were always just talking about the managers being sacked, the turmoil, the feuds, the the fans getting in the headlines for good and bad reasons. It's just been it has been a whirlwind and I think it's been a, that there's no better way to sum that up than the past, the past two decades, give or take under this, this Abramovich era have been a whirlwind and yet throughout the chaos, Chelsea have consistently delivered. They've racked up the trophies. They've, they've made their fan base ecstatic. They have brutally annoyed many noisy neighbors. They have, put several noisy neighbors in their place. Um, Chelsea does live and thrive off pressure. And in a weird way, it's, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world. I like, <laughs> I like that they hate us. I like that everyone, everyone celebrates our failures. I like that everyone cries at our, at our victories. It's fantastic because Chelsea just go in and, and, and do the business and our fans enjoy it. The players enjoy it. The club enjoys continued success. And I think, Today is your perfect indicator that even when everyone thinks the world is falling apart and whatnot, Chelsea are still Chelsea and we're going to go out there and we're going to give it a fight. So yeah, that, that Chelsea spirit is strong. I think the, 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 the blue flag is going to be kept flying high. That is indeed very true. And Tuchel is one person that gets that naturally, I think, a few seasons ago, we were hearing the term Chelsea man with sorry. And, and, and I think when Lampard came in, he is a Chelsea man. Sorry, he wasn't. I think Tuchel has become a Chelsea man because he gets the spirit. He gets what it means to be Chelsea. And, and I'm going to read you a quote here that he said at the end of the game uh, because they were asking him about the future and, and the, the budget cuts and all of that comes. And he goes, as long as we have enough shirts and a bus to drive to the games, we will be there and we'll compete hard. And that's what you want, right? We ultimately want to see our team succeed. And he's promising us that for the rest of this season, we will be showing up as long as we can put on a blue shirt uh, and we'll be there. And, and 
I want to get your thoughts on Tuchel real quick before we move on to the Champions League games from this past week. Uh, we've spoken about the adversity, the questions he's faced from the media. He's answered them. He's been calm. He's getting the job done on the pitch. There's not much more you can ask for from a man that has only been here for a little bit over a year. Yeah, Tuchel, I think, is is so unlucky because he is such a talented manager. Clearly, we all we all know how good he is. He's gone head-to-head with the best in the business. He's gone head-to-head with super powerful teams, fantastic, brilliant, proven managers, and bested them multiple times. I mean, this is this is a coach who can compete with the very, very, very best. And yet, as you said, in his, in his barely more than a year here, he's had to endure so much in terms of <laughs> media speculation and, and COVID drama and league regulations and Chelsea issues and so many things. I mean, I mean, off the pitch, you, you're, record signings coming out and saying they want to play for another club the drama that he has had to endure and yet has also consistently delivered results is absurd I think it's funny that a manager who I think has the talent to in perfect conditions go on and become our most successful ever manager um, given the squad the silverware uh, and the pedigree and the capabilities he has I think he, he is very much the type of manager you could see a dynasty form under and yet it's, it's just brutal that this immensely talented manager with a young, hungry squad has come in at a time that's just so tumultuous. But the good news is, I think, as you said, he has become a Chelsea man. He understands the club, and I think the fans love that. The fans love him. The fans know his quality. And I think regardless of who ends up owning Chelsea sooner or later, I think they're going to be well aware of the quality that Tuchel has and I'm sure whoever comes in is going to do the utmost to keep him and keep him happy. Um, so, you know, I, I loved his little quote of if, if you give us kits to play in and a bus to get to the games, we will be there and we will compete hard. That's that sums it up. And for me, I think that sums it up for fans as well, that you could you could you could sanction the entire team. You could ship off every single foreign player. You could force us to field the U21s in the Premier League. And myself and I hope every other true Chelsea fan would be sitting there cheering them on throughout it all, because at the end of the day, it's the club we love. And I think, I think we're going to keep on just fine. And, and that's the way to sum it up on, on at least the action and news and, and the sanctions from the day. Uh, and there is a game coming up this weekend, but before we get to that, let's talk about the Champions League games from this past week. Uh, so Liverpool lost to Inter at home 1-0, but they had enough from the first leg. They won 2-0 in the first leg, so they go on uh, on aggregate 2-1. Bayern Munich, they were they drew 1-1 uh, a couple of weeks ago against Salzburg. There was a question about can there be an upset. They squashed that right away, a 7-1 win at home for Bayern, and they move on, and, and Lewandowski gets a hat-trick in I think this is the right time for Bayern to be coming into their own in this competition, at least. Man City drew nil-nil. They had a 5-0 win from the first leg, so it didn't really matter. They move on as well. But the game that we want to talk about here is Real Madrid versus PSG. PSG had won 1-0 the first leg at home, an Mbappe goal right at the end. They came into this game. Alex, I'm not sure if you got a chance to catch it, uh, but it was... A fun game to watch because Real Madrid were coming out to play. 
PSG had the threat on the counter with Mbappe and man, that guy has some pace. Um, I'm actually kind of glad that they went out because if we ended up facing them, it would have been some nervous time with just Mbappe himself. But then you add Neymar and Messi to it. It's scary. Uh, they go one nil up actually in this ha- in this game and, and make it two nil on aggregate. And for the longest time, Real Madrid just looked out of ideas, out of energy. In a split second, the best goalie, and I say this in quotes, makes a mistake, lets Benzema nick the ball off of him, falls to Vinicius Jr., back to Benzema, 1-1. And at that point, I got up and and left to do something. I come back, and it's 3-1. And I'm like, what the hell just (laughs) happened? So, Alex, I'll get your thoughts on it because it's the beauty of the Champions League, and, and we've seen these comebacks, but these comebacks happen far too often to PSG. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't able to watch the full game, but I watched the extended highlights after, and I saw Mbappe individually impressed me immensely. Obviously, goal was brilliant, but the the disallowed goals he had uh, because of offside. Yeah, yeah. He had essentially a hat trick. Now he had, we'll call it the a Timo Werner hat trick. Essentially, one one goal allowed out of three. <laughs> um, I, and he absolutely sat Courtois down with one brilliant finish. Um, snake in the grass, uh, <laughs> as per usual, Christian Pulisic style, left him laid out on the turf and finished that. I, it, it was a monstrous goal. I, I loved it. Um, and then he had another one where, where he had a, a brilliant near post finish. Uh, maybe it was his, I don't know if it was a near post finish as well. He, he had two brilliant finishes that were he both did, moved yes. offside. Yeah, and then obviously a nice goal that actually did count, but he is just such a dangerous player. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with, did, did, he, just, uh, did he just get knocked out by his, his future team? We'll see. Um, but yeah, PSG, uh, someone, um, I saw someone say PSG are like Tottenham, but their parents <laughs> A, to put them in private school. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see the parallels. I mean, they've, they've got a lot of money. They can win the domestic cups, but my goodness, they are just shocking in, in their European resolve. So, you know what? It, it, it was a brilliant game from the highlights I saw at least. And, and Benzema, obviously you have to give huge credit for right. how well he's performed on an, on a, not, not just world-class, but like upper, 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 upper echelon level for, for, some time now um so so credit to him credit to madrid this is going to be an exciting exciting season in the champions league and, and we love that drama we love that excitement but yeah uh that's this is the beauty of the the beautiful game that's exactly the type of classic match that you want to see so well well played to madrid and uh better luck next time but we we know they'll need it uh to psg yeah, and, and we don't know what happens. Like you mentioned, Mbappe may be leaving at the end of the season. Pochettino may be leaving at the end of the season, which that's a whole different topic. I You mentioned Spurs. I think Pochettino left Spurs, but Spurs didn't leave Pochettino because he, <laughs> seems, he seems to bottle a lot of things with PSV, which is tough to do because, like you mentioned, they have the squad. They're able to throw on players that uh, some teams can only hope for to be in their first team. So... It's tough, and I think it comes down to you've seen Tuchel there, and he couldn't—he got them to a final, but he couldn't get them over the line, and he comes to us and wins it. 
So is it down to PSG? Is it the culture? Is it the players? I think Neymar and Donnarumma ended up in a fight at the end of the, the game uh, in the locker room. Their owner and, and the director of football stormed into the referee's room. So there's a lot of drama there behind the scenes that we don't get to, to see. But on the pitch with Mbappe, I mean, if we had a choice, I, I would say let's let's go get him for free this summer. But we clearly have other issues going on. <laughs> Um, but that's the Champions League and, and Real Madrid move on and their household name. So uh, not a big, big surprise, but obviously when you see a team come back from, from that kind of score, it, it's always good. Uh, so those are the four teams that made it through this four more next week. Obviously, we're one of them. Uh, we take a 2-0 lead to Lille, but then there's Ajax Benfica, Manchester United Atletico and Juventus Villarreal. So uh, if we make it through, Alex, is there anyone you don't want to face? Maybe a Bayern Munich? Yeah, honestly, Bayern. Bayern is really the only team that I just would not want to face. I think any other any other team we could – I mean, I'm not even we, – we could well beat Bayern, but just going into – I think we have the talent to beat them. Right. But they've just shown the ability not only in their league but in Europe to thrash even, even top-quality teams. So – I think really no team ever wants to face Bayern early in, in the Champions League. But, you know, wouldn't be saying no to a Bayern Munich Champions League final. Uh, <laughs> get, a, get us a, a nice little flashback and, and a, a Tuchel double. So we'll, we'll, see, uh, we'll see how that goes. But I'm, I'm just excited for the rest of the season. And I hope we can make a nice run because we're going we're gonna to need it. We're going to need it. Um, and, and that would be, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself because I don't think there's with all the, the, the issues going on and, and some of the injuries and drama, it's certainly not the ideal season for us to set our sights on. Let's, let's repeat this champions league <laughs> because there is just so much going on on and off the pitch, but man, it, it, it will be sweet to at least just win a trophy um to to sort of respond to all this turmoil and say we're still here we're still successful so we'll see what happens i just hope we we come out and keep fighting because there are going to be some great games yeah absolutely and and that's not to say that we're jumping ahead into the next round we do have to still uh, go to Par- uh, france i beg your pardon but we'll see what happens that's that's the champions league and we are the holders so hopefully we can make the run for it uh interesting question i don't have the answer i don't know if you do if we end up winning a trophy and we get the prize money, is that going to the UK government? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was thinking that as well. I was thinking if our revenue sources are cut off, maybe we we're just going to like be extra forced to start winning because <laughs> that's the only way we're going to make money. But yeah, who, who knows? Maybe, um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe then we could upgrade to business class on our flights. To away. <laughs> well, we will see what happens, but, from away games, we finally have our home game this weekend, and it's the first home game since, uh, obviously, the invasion of, of Ukraine, which has led to everything that we've spoken about here, uh, which means Chelsea fans get to voice their opinions or at least their songs and, and their support, their um, voices against certain people in the media and, and the government. So it's going to be an interesting one. And it's also going to be one of the games where we're going to see a full house because after this, if you're not a season ticket holder, you most likely will not be at, at Chelsea game. So 
Newcastle come visiting, and and you've mentioned everything about Newcastle ahead of the show. I'll read off some of the uh, key stats or things that have happened. So Newcastle have won just one of their last 27 away league games at Chelsea, winning 2-0, last winning 2-0 in May 2012 under Alan Pardew. And I think you may remember the Papi Cisse crazy, crazy goal, which was one of the goals that they scored. Uh, Newcastle have lost 23 of their last 24 Premier League away games against sides starting the day in the top three, which bodes well for us. And Chelsea are unbeaten in their last 34 Premier League home games played in March uh, since a 4-2 loss against Sunderland in 2001. So everything bodes towards a Chelsea win, and we've seen us take on Newcastle a few times. I think Aiden Hazard loves scoring against them. Uh, more recently, we've gotten the job done. I believe Timo Werner scored against them last season at home. So on paper, it should be a win for Chelsea. But Newcastle, I believe, now have won five or six games back-to-back, unbeaten in their last eight or nine and so it's going to be a tough game. The new signings are thriving. Some of the players that they had previously are thriving with Joe Linton uh, and, and Willock, who came in, I think, a season and a half ago. So, Alex, how do you how do you prepare for this game? Newcastle are on a high. Chelsea are obviously doing well. Four wins on the spin in, in the league. But it's just so unpredictable. And, and Newcastle seem to be defending well. So that's another piece that we're we're unsure about yeah it's going to be interesting to see what happens as you mentioned it is going to be also intriguing to see how it plays out with the full stadium for presumably the last time for a while i for one am hoping to see some uh some banners some signs some songs i i want to see the the chelsea fans voice their their feelings here um and i think if ever there was a game that would be and I, I don't want to get ahead of myself because I don't, I don't think we'll, we'll slap Newcastle here. I think it's going to be, be a tight one. Um, I think we'll get the job done. I don't think it's going to be a, a route or anything. But if ever there is a game that I would like, I would take unbelievable amounts of pleasure from just curb stomping an opponent. It would be like an eight-goal beating at Stamford Bridge with the fans like chanting something like, can you sanction us every week or something like that? <laughs> that, that, that? That would like, that would make, that would make my day, my, my week, my year. I, I, I will dare to dream in that, in that respect, <laughs> because I think this would be, and regardless, e- even on a more, more realistic note, I think just going out and getting a win in front of a full house with all the turmoil and all the crazy, crazy stuff that's been going on slightly sweeter against a club that I think is a perfect example of ridiculous double standards against Chelsea and the media and the government. I think it would be a fantastic statement performance on and off the pitch, but we'll see. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I think it's, as you said, they're, they're Newcastle are not going to roll over and make it easy for us. Um, so I think, I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a fight, but I have faith that hopefully we can come through. Um, hopefully some of the players who got some rest in this game, I'm thinking um, are available and hopefully those guys are able to uh, to come on. I think I think Polisic on the left wing. We know his danger. I think Rudiger is a force. 
oddly enough, in attack often, just as much as, as in defense <laughs> against some of these smaller sides who sit back against us. We often see Rudiger making driving runs and trying to make shot-creating action. So I want to see our big boys on the pitch. I want to see us come out fighting, and I want to see us get a win. And, and I do, too. Like you said, I think uh, with the news that broke today, there may be some news that comes out before that game. It's just something we've come to expect in the last few weeks. Uh, and hopefully not only that, but just the fact that this may be one of the last games where we have a full house. The players come out with that fire that we saw today against Norwich and in the second half against Burnley and, and come out and do the job and get these goals and get a performance in because you know Newcastle, like you said, aren't going to roll over. But if they go one down and if we continue to pile on the pressure, they will give us opportunities. And, and it's up, up to us to kill it, which is... <laughs> It's sometimes the, the case where we don't and we give away points. But the, the other positive for me is with Newcastle having won and picked up some points along the way, they currently sit in 14th with the game in hand with some of the teams below them and already four or five points clear, which not saying they'll drop their standards for it, but there's one game that they can drop some points. This could be it. And hopefully that bodes well for us. But we'll, you mentioned Pulisic playing on the left. Ty Havertz, I think, will start. Rudiger comes back in. But who are some of the other uh, players that play? Do you think Saul continues at left wing back? I think maybe maybe he does. It's it's always a tough one. I mean, you never really know. Alonso, it's it's funny. I, I see people have joked about the number of, of managers Alonso has outlasted. Um, and and now Roman. <laughs> now he's outlasted managers, owners. <laughs> He, at this rate, he's going to outlast the club. But <laughs> I, I think I, I really honestly don't don't care immensely who starts in those wing back roles. If anything, if I'm being honest, and and this is cl- clearly clearly not exactly my place as some kid sitting on on recording a podcast telling Tuchel how to manage. If anything, this is a game where I would say forget like our our two again. Reese James is injured, so our two world class attacking fullbacks are are uh, wing backs are injured. Abandon the back, the back three, go for a back four, and and just play to the um, play to the strengths of more attacking players on the pitch. Maybe I would love to see, for example, Polisic, Havertz, Ziyech, and then Mason Mount in behind. I think would be uh, an interesting thing to see, especially when we don't need to really accommodate to have Chilwell and James bombing up the flanks. I don't think Aspilaqueta and Saul in any combination are going to be making darting runs all game. I think they could put in a, a, a good solid shift. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I really honestly don't care who goes out there. I just need them to, to bring their A game. Yeah, and, and I think the shot for the back four is, is fair because with the players injured, you could see Malang Sar coming in, who's done a job at that left back, left wing back position. And Hakim Ziyech could come in too, who again has performed better in the back four. And if we want to transition into a back three, back five while we're defending, we could certainly do that. Newcastle tend to play a 4-3-3. So if we go out and match that four, maybe that would that would work out better. And I think having N'Golo Kante is going to be key because even in the brief spell that he was on today against Norwich, immediately he comes on and the energy we have goes from point A to point A. I mean, from point B to point A. And he is... If there's one player that we need to hold on to throughout this whole sanction and whatever it is, 
I think it's N'Golo Kante. You may, you may uh, disagree and some of the listeners may disagree, but that man is just built different. <laughs> yeah, he is, he is something special. And I, I, I do think we, ju- we have the quality. We have the quality to win these games. We have the quality to get through this tough period. And I think hopefully we go out this weekend um, with a statement win. I, I will be, my, my spirits will be severely, severely <laughs> dampened. I cannot lie if we don't win this game. Whereas if we win it, I will be celebrating it like we've won a title uh, <laughs> because of, of how uncertain these times are right now. So we'll see. Would you be okay with a draw? Yeah, I think a draw isn't the end of the world, obviously. But, but for me, it's as simple as, and, and I know I'm not going to claim we're in a title race, but if there's, if there's any, any possibility whatsoever that Chelsea, I mean, even just thinking about like going up in the rankings, as we said, we need all the money we can get. I think you, <laughs> you get paid, do you get paid equally or a little more for a higher? I think you get paid a little more for more. a higher. It's the yeah. TV payments that go out equally. Yeah. Um, so, so maybe these players hopefully will be fighting tooth and nail to take that second place spot because maybe their wages at the end of the week depend on them making second place. But uh, I, I do think... I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't cry about a draw, but we just need to capitalize against these teams that we know we can beat because this is, this is not a period where I want to see us starting to look shaky. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And having won four games back to back, at least in the league, even though they weren't played uh, consecutively in four weeks, I think we have the platform to build upon it. And I'm looking at the table. We sit in third, 27 games played 56 points. Arsenal below us sitting in fourth have played two less games and are in 48 points. So you would think if they won uh, that the gap is only two points, but they themselves have two tough games. They play Leicester and Liverpool. Uh, so if we get our win and, and, and Arsenal drop points, it's weird to be looking backwards instead of ahead. Uh, but I think at this point, we all just want to solidify that third spot and make that Champions League and FA Cup run that you were you were mentioning. So what are your score predictions here? Do you see us going comfortably to a win? Do you see us maybe tight win to one, one nil? Um, I'm feeling almost, I mean, I guess I didn't realize it's a continuation of today's scoreline. I kind of feel like a 3-1. I think we could go out and hopefully score some goals because the players are going to be pumped up. Hopefully the crowd's pumped up. Um, we saw that we didn't really, we didn't play with fear today. What wasn't like a brilliant, brilliant performance, but I think hopefully, you know, I, that's almost my, my ideal scoreline. Obviously you don't want to concede, but I, I could see a nice, a nice three, one win. Um, maybe we score, they equalize, uh, you know, when, and we pull away with it in the second half. Um, I'd love to keep a clean sheet, but I'm not, I'm not going to force it because at the end of the day, the points are the points. Yeah, I agree. I think points are points and Newcastle tend to at least have one goal in them. So uh, I'm going to go with maybe a two, one just to be different, but three, one would definitely be a lot more comfortable. Uh, And hopefully if we get the points in Liverpool or Arsenal ahead of us or behind us drop points, we can start looking ahead instead of behind. Uh, because Liverpool themselves play Brighton and then Arsenal. And Arsenal, like I say, play Leicester and, and Liverpool. So uh, you'd expect one of those teams to drop points, but you never know. Liverpool are a machine and, and they keep turning out results. Uh, one game before we wrap it up, Alex, is Manchester United versus Spurs. And Spurs beating Everton the other night 5-0. United getting thumped 4-1 by Man City. 
How do you see one this one going? Spurs typically have to be winning one and losing the next one, and this seems to be the game that they will hopefully lose. Yeah, I don't even know. I I despise both clubs, so I I hope they I hope both teams lose is all I can say. <laughs> um, I I don't know exactly. It's it's really weird because United are just a shockingly run club, and I think totally still living in off the glory of their Alex Ferguson era and have not come even close to achieving that same status since. So I would love to see them continue to struggle. I, I would hope for like a, I mean, even just like a boring nil nil draw, but alternatively I, I would never get mad about seeing Spurs get, get thrashed or, or even United get thrashed. Honestly, regardless, I'm just going to you know, rival fans have, have been loving the, the Chelsea news. So I'm just <laughs> going to enjoy seeing the suffering of one or both of the fan bases in question. Yeah. I'm hoping for like a two, two or a three, three, which would make an exciting game. And uh, Fair enough. both teams draw points, which would I think be ideal for, for us. Uh, but I think that's, that's all we had. We've covered a lot. There's a lot going on with the club. Uh, like we said, just let's just take it day by day. We're here for you guys. If you want to reach out to us, please do so. Uh, but Alex, you want to bring us home? Yeah. So thank you everyone for listening. Um, please keep subscribing, liking, and, and following us at the Premier Chels on our social platforms. I believe it's uh, Premier Chels on Twitter. Um, keep, keep on, keep on keeping on. Keep the blue flag flying high. Thank you. And we will hopefully talk to you after a good result against the Newcastle, uh, after the Newcastle match this weekend. So stay safe and up the chels.